This is Tailgate Till May. If you love college sports and you like to have a little action on the games, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm excited to be back for another episode to break down week four in the college football season. Before we get started, just a reminder, you can find me on social media, Twitter or X. Instagram and TikTok at Gorgon Sports. I'd love to hear from you. I want you to be a part of the show. So tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what you want to hear about. Tell me what I got right and tell me what I got wrong. And now let's dive right into this week four because we were told this was not going to be a good week of college football. I said, you know, if you want to build up a little equity, save some save yourself for week four, maybe now's a good time to do it. And we didn't get any of the monster upsets that sometimes happen when everybody says this is a light week. But I'll tell you what, my big takeaway from yesterday was that all of these top teams had to go on the road or play lesser competition or a combination of the two play some lesser competition on the road. Some of these teams started conference play and it was a good reminder that on any given Saturday in college football, anything can happen because so many of these are what we think are the top schools were tested in some way. Georgia hasn't played anybody so far. They take on South Carolina. They get a 10-point win, but they were down 14-3 to at half. South Carolina was a team that just the offensive line had looked terrible against North Carolina, against an FCS school in Wofford the week before. And Georgia didn't dominate that line the way you would expect them to. Now, Kirby Smart said after the game that he was excited about the opportunity to see what his team was made of at halftime, find out a little bit more about his team, and I bet he was. I bet he was, and we found out Georgia got things figured out. But it was a good reminder yesterday that going on the road, and Georgia didn't go on the road, but going on the road or starting conference play is a little bit different. That coming off a big win, a la Texas, and having a scrappy Wyoming team come in, it's hard to maintain that focus and concentration every single week. And I think we've gotten so used to seeing some of these dominant programs like Alabama and Georgia that just never lose a beat. And they're both, certainly Alabama, is taking a bit of a step back right now. And Georgia maybe is not quite the dominant force that it was. And it was a good reminder watching all these games that anything can happen on any given Saturday in college football. Boston College takes Florida State down to the wire. Boston College had a ton of penalties in this game, and it cost them dearly, but they fought back. Thomas Castellano, he is a difference maker for Boston College. He was scrambling all around. He had 95 yards on the ground, 305 through the air. He made some plays and he kept Boston College in that game. Florida State escapes by the skin of their teeth in Chestnut Hill. Texas, the final score is 31 to 10 against Wyoming, but this is a game that was tied at halftime. It was 10-7 Wyoming, or I'm sorry, it was 10-10 going into the fourth quarter. Texas 
you know, all the talk all week we had was, okay, this was a great win. How do they respond? How do they respond? I'm not sure I love the way that they responded. It just seems right now like this thing, this year, is so going to be so open. There are so many teams that I bet if you polled right now would tell you, yeah, we think we can win our conference. You look at the ACC, for example. Florida State looks to be the clear favorite. But I bet if you asked Miami fans, they're thinking, yeah, we have a chance. North Carolina as well. Maybe even Duke. You know, even Clemson fans, after losing that Duke game, are probably thinking, we still have a chance because they have Florida State coming into Death Valley in week four. So many teams think they have a chance. In the Big 12, I can't tell you who the second best team in the Big 12 is right now. Oklahoma put up about a million points on on Tulsa over the weekend. A couple weeks after, they put up about a million points on Arkansas State. But we got to see Oklahoma do it against somebody with a pulse. A bunch of teams towards the bottom of the Big 12 go down. You know, it's it's it hasn't been the greatest non-conference season for the Big 12, and this weekend didn't help at all. Cincinnati loses to Mac School, Miami of Ohio. Iowa State loses to a Mac School in Ohio University. Oklahoma State gets drilled by a Sunbelt school in South Alabama. And Kansas, in a game that I thought they were going to just walk over, it was closer than the experts anticipated against Nevada. They get out of there with a 31-24 win. I think that spread was around four touchdowns. So in the Big 12, you know, Kansas State, they lose, and we're going to get into that game in a second. They lose to Missouri, one of the most fun games of the weekend, I thought. But I don't know that anybody in the Big 12 right now can really feel like they're out of contention for making the title game and getting that number two slot, except maybe Houston, which they don't really have anything going for them at this moment. Maybe Iowa State, but there are a lot of teams in that conference that must feel like they have a chance. In the Big Ten, Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State, they all feel like they not only have a chance to win the Big Ten, but win a national title. I'll tell you that right now. In the Pac-12, you got the four that we talked about a lot early or preseason in USC, Washington, Utah, and Oregon, and they've done nothing to change anybody's perception that they can potentially win that conference, go to the CFP. And now you add everything going on with Colorado. Colorado wins a double OT thriller last night. I don't think that game ended until after two in the morning Eastern time. Colorado continues to be the most exciting team in all of college football as they beat their cross-state rival Colorado State on a day that college game day was in town. And they have a showdown looming with the Oregon Ducks next week. So then you add Colorado to that mix. You add Oregon State, they're 3-0. You had UCLA, they're 3-0. and And a stat that I reference on this show all the time is Bill Connolly's SP Plus metric. It's predictive analytic. I think it's great. I reference it all the time. Bill Connolly tweeted today that if the preseason projections were removed from his formula right now, 
Washington would be the number one team in the country. And UCLA, one of the teams from the Pac-12 where we haven't talked a whole lot about because they haven't played a really healthy schedule there. They would be the number three team in the country. You add them to the mix. I, I would bet you there are seven fan bases in the Pac-12, maybe eight, that feel like they can win that conference. Those big four, UCLA, Oregon State, Washington State. And I don't, if you're a Colorado fan, I bet you feel like anything's possible at this point. I think eight out of the 12 team schools in the Pac-12 feel like they can legitimately win that conference. And then in the SEC, I don't know what to make of the SEC West. Alabama. Wow. What a what a fall over the course of a couple weeks. It was only 10 days ago that I came on this show and I said, I think Alabama beats Texas. I think they have the best top-to-bottom roster in this country. I think Jalen Milrow gives Alabama a better chance to win than Quinn Ewers gives Texas a chance to win. And a game later, they go down to Tampa. They play South Florida. They escape with a 17-3 win. And the Alabama Crimson Tide had one of the ugliest quarterback box scores I've ever seen. Ty Buckner, the Notre Dame transfer, gets the start. He gets pulled, leaves the game 5-14 of 14 for 34 yards. That's a 2.4 average yards per attempt. Ty Simpson comes in. He goes five for nine for 73 yards. Overall, the quarterbacks combined 10 of 23, 107 yards. And Jalen Milrow did not play at all. And we have a full on quarterback controversy, quarterback disaster in Alabama. So as far as the SEC is concerned, yeah, Georgia, I think, still looks like the top dog. They still look like the top team in the East, certainly. But when it comes to the West, who's to say? Ole Miss can't go win that division. Who's to say LSU, the defending SEC West champion, who absolutely drubbed Mississippi State over the weekend, isn't in a great spot to go out and win that division despite losing to Florida State in week one. And then Alabama, despite the state of turmoil they're in, they are still Alabama, and they still do have that number one most talented roster in all of college football. But they got to figure out the quarterback situation. They absolutely have to figure that thing out. The only thing that the thing that would make the most sense to me about how Nick Saban has handled these quarterbacks the past couple weeks is he's heard the clamoring. He knows that a fan base always is calling for the backup. And in this game where he knew there was very little chance of losing, he said, okay, I'll let you see the backups. Now, I don't think Nick Saban would do that, but it would be kind of funny if he did. If he just said, hey, <laughs> you guys want the backups so badly. You don't want Jalen Milrow. Here, I'll show you what the backups look like. It'd be kind of funny. But I think it's an indictment right now on, on just how they've handled that quarterback position. I still think playing Jalen Milrow and designing an offense around him to really emphasize the quarterback run game could still get that Alabama team to 10 wins. They could still be a 10-win team, but that's not the standard at Alabama. The standard at Alabama is make the college playoff win a national championship. So in the SEC, I bet you certainly LSU and Ole Miss 
feel like, okay, the time is ours. We got to strike. Even Texas A&M, yeah, they lost to Miami. They're sitting 0-0 in conference. They could still have some hope. This thing is open, guys. I'm telling you, this is feeling like one of the most open years that I can remember in my years of watching college football. Probably going back to that crazy 2007 year. This is an open, open season. And this past weekend kind of emphasized that. So what does that mean for us from a gambling perspective? Well, we saw a lot of these big spreads at the start of conference play. Four touchdown spreads. Georgia was about a four touchdown favorite. Florida State was just under a four touchdown favorite. They were like 26 25 and a half on the road at Boston College. And I think we really, you got to see what it looks like next week. But I think we really got to take a look at some of these big dogs in conference. And, you know, it might not feel great, but if the number is right and the matchup is right, we got to take a look at some of these big three, four touchdown dogs in conference, especially at home and consider taking them because when you get in the conference play, it's that annual reminder, things tighten up. These teams know each other so well, especially in these conferences where coaches have been around for a while. The big 10 West is one where that's the case. These coaches have been around for years. They know the tendencies, the teams know each other. Well, it feels like things always tighten up, especially in that division with the style of play where it's run, run the ball and play defense. And as we get into conference play in earnest next week, we, we really get things going. I'm interested to see what the lines look like for next week and how, how, how many three, four touchdown favorite there are out there. How many of those 21 to 28 point spreads in conference play do we have out there? I haven't had a chance to go through everything with a fine tooth comb yet, but it seems off the blush at first glance, like maybe not as many. I think this weekend was just a good reminder of how things can tighten up and how open this year is. I think my favorite game of the day was probably that Missouri-Kansas State game that kicked off at noon, and I avoided playing that game in any way. I When the lines dropped last Sunday, I saw it open at Kansas State minus one and a half. I was interested in getting in, in on that at that price, but by the time I could actually get to it, it was up to like five. I didn't want to play it at that price. And I, so I just ended up watching it. You know, I wanted to learn a little bit more about these teams and I actually came away fairly impressed with both teams, at least on the the offensive side, Missouri and Luther burden at wide receiver. He's a guy that was highly touted, you know, from the state of Missouri. It was a big deal when they got him to, to go to Missouri and he Goes for two touchdowns, 114 yards. Really big day for Luther Burden. On the Kansas State side, I thought they did a good job. The thing that I was wanting to see was what that offense really looks like without having the threat of Deuce Vaughn in the backfield. And I thought they did a 
fairly good job overall. I was impressed with uh, Trishon Ward, the transfer from Florida State. I didn't think Will Howard had a bad day. The stats don't exactly pop out at you. 25 of 39, 270 yards, three touchdowns to one interception. Ben Sinat, their tight end. He seems like he's kind of their their number one threat there on that team. And look, he's a great player. He's a great guy you want to have on your team. But if he's your number one receiving threat, I just wonder if they they might be in trouble a little bit there when it comes to having a game-breaking receiver. But all in all, I thought these offenses were both fairly impressive. Now, Missouri didn't run the ball well. But they both end up put it end up putting up over 400 yards of offense, and uh, Missouri wins in one of the wildest finishes you'll ever see, where Missouri lines up to attempt a game-winning, I believe it was a 56-yard field goal attempt. They take a delay of game penalty. And then he makes a 61-yarder, an SEC record, but not a Missouri record. Missouri kicker makes this kick to win the game. Fans storm the field. The announcers are confused. Is there a flag down? Is this just a a Missouri shirt, a towel? What's going on? Officials ultimately say, no flag on the field. Game's over. Missouri wins. I think that was my favorite game of the day. I know there's a few Maryland fans out there in this audience and Luther Burden from Missouri. He kind of reminds me of what Stefan Diggs, Darius Hayward Bay and Torrey Smith were for all those years for Maryland, where it's very clear. This guy is a top, a top tier, top notch talent on a team that isn't Alabama, that isn't Georgia, that isn't Ohio State. And his talent level is so clear that he is able to elevate that program. And I thought it was just really fun to watch him him play. So I was pretty impressed with both these teams. And like I said, with the Kansas offense, I mean, they had this drive late in the third quarter where they had two touchdowns taken off the board on the same drive due to penalties, but they still ended up scoring on that drive. And it was a jump pass from Howard to Ben Sinat. And I, you know, I just think Kansas state is such a consistent team there. They sometimes they are not going to wow you, but consistently year over year, they seem like they're a program that doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low and they figure things out. And so, you know, maybe there is that question about their receiving core, but all in all, there was nothing from that game that made me think, ooh, I'm scared about Kansas State in the Big 12 the rest of the year. I thought it was a, a nice performance by by both these teams and a, and a good win for Missouri. I think at, at the end of the day, the Big 12 is just maybe not quite the Big 12 that we saw a season ago. Other kind of big game of the day. Florida getting a a much needed victory over Tennessee at home. Tennessee still has not won in the swamp since 2003. And this is one that I was very excited about because that was the second leg of my money line parlay of the week. FIU beat UConn earlier in the day as about a seven, eight point dog. And then Florida goes ahead and knocks off Tennessee in the swamp 29 to 16. 
And, you know, again, this is another reminder of in-conference play. When you have the requisite talent level like Florida does, it's a big deal to go to the swamp for Joe Milton, a guy who has been in college football a while but has not started that many games, has not played that many games, has to go and start in the swamp. It's tough, and he did not have a great day. 20 of 34, he had two touchdowns, but he had a pick as well. Tennessee struggled to to run the ball. 3.3 yards per carry. And Florida did a great job of running the ball behind Trevor Etienne, who went for 172 yards and a touchdown on the day. And Graham Mertz, just an efficient 19 of 24. Graham Mertz has quietly been pretty good for Florida this year. So I think the SEC East is interesting. It's who is that second best team? And can any team challenge Georgia? Maybe it is Missouri. Maybe Missouri ends up being the second best team in that league or in that division, rather. But it was a big win for Florida and a nice win for Billy Napier to kind of get everybody off his back for a second in year two. A guy who's been brutally honest about, you know, what was what has been needed at that Florida program. And he told everybody to be patient. There was a lot of work to do. And it seems clear there there is a lot of work still to do there, but it was a big win. It was a nice win for that Florida program. And again, another good reminder of just when you have this requisite talent level, which most of these teams in the SEC do, you can put it together, especially at home, and beat somebody who is supposed to be much better than you. Tennessee came in as the number 11 team in the country. Florida came in as a program where folks were talking about could Billy Napier get fired after just two years? We're not even, we were not even three games into Billy Napier's second season at Florida and people were already talking about firing him. So a really nice win for the Florida Gators there. Let's move on to some of our segments. I want to start with teams that won that I'm selling. And the team that I keep coming back to with this, and they have already lost a game this year, is Wisconsin. Wisconsin beached Georgia Southern yesterday. The final score doesn't look bad if you're just browsing the box scores. They win 35-14 over a, a pretty decent Sunbelt team there. But this is a game that was 7-7 seven to seven at halftime. This is a game where... Georgia Southern actually outgained Wisconsin 455 yards to 451 yards. Now I know total yards isn't always the total story. And Wisconsin did outperform them on a, on a per play basis, 7.9 yards per pass compared to 7.4 for Georgia Southern, where they really had the advantages on the, was on the ground 5.4 yards per rush compared to 2.6 yards per rush. But Wisconsin also benefited from six Georgia Southern turnovers. And when I look at this Wisconsin team, I'm still not sure how this team is significantly different from the teams that we saw under Paul Christ the past several years where they are very good. They're a very good running team. They have a pretty good defense, but if you could stop the run, I don't know that I trust this Wisconsin team to, to really beat you. So when I look at Wisconsin, they don't have the, the toughest schedule 
in the world. From the east side of the Big Ten, they get Rutgers at home, Ohio State at home, and at Indiana. It's not the toughest schedule in the world. I still think Ohio State is much better than them. So they could still very well make the Big Ten championship game. They could win that Big Ten West. But I just feel like when they get into some of these Big Ten West games with a Iowa, per se, who I'm not super high on, with a Ruck, with an Illinois, per se, who I'm also not very high on, things are going to get ground down if they can stop the run. We heard so much about Phil Longo coming in and the dairy raid offense, and I don't know that it's really there yet. I don't know that I trust it yet. And I'm looking at spots on the schedule where I can bet against Wisconsin, but it's tough because I'm kind of down on the entire Big Ten West. Big Ten West goes three and four this weekend. Illinois, Northwestern, Purdue, and Minnesota all lose. A couple of those games out of conference games. Actually, three of them against ACC schools. Northwestern loses to Duke. Purdue loses to Syracuse. And Minnesota loses to North Carolina. And when you look at this division right now, every single team in the division, all seven teams in the division, have a worse SP plus rating now after week three than they did before the season. They are all underperforming expectations now, and it's in large part because of the offenses. These offenses are not good. Only Wisconsin has a top 50 offense per SP+. So I'm down on Wisconsin. They won, but I'm selling them, and I'm down on the entire Big Ten West. I want to see what some of these lines are when Wisconsin plays Iowa. When Wisconsin plays Illinois, they go on the road to Illinois in a couple weeks. They have Iowa at home in a couple weeks. If Wisconsin is laying a touchdown in those games, 10 points, something like that, I don't see how I could back Wisconsin. I don't trust their offense. These Big Ten West teams, like we've been talking about all day today, when you get into conference, things tighten up. And Wisconsin is just not a team that I trust right now. Six turnovers for Georgia Southern. And yes, as a defense, they they contributed to that. They forced those turnovers. But it's not something you can rely on week in and, and week out. So Wisconsin is, a, is the team I'm selling that one. And then the Big Ten West is, is kind of the division I'm selling as a whole. Now, for a team that lost, but I'm buying, and I use the term buying very lightly with this program, I'm buying that. Virginia might be able to put up points and be a little more competitive with Anthony Calandria at quarterback rather than Tony Musket. I was there on Friday night in college park. I watched Maryland play Virginia, Maryland beat Virginia 42 to 14, but Anthony Calandria was able to make some things happen in that game. Now he also turned the ball over a couple times. He turned the ball over. I think he had at least two, if not three, three interceptions for Anthony Calandria. But he was also a guy that really did remind me of a younger version of Talia Tungavailoa, which is what Mike Loxley said about him earlier in this week. And I think Anthony Calandria is a guy, when they get into ACC play, they have a home game against, say, a, I don't know, Georgia Tech. They might be able to do something. He's not perfect. He's a true freshman. He's not very big. 
He'll throw the ball around a little bit, but he'll also make some plays. So I I don't want to say I'm full out buying Virginia here, but before I had absolutely no faith in their offense. Now I feel like this is a team in the right circumstances, they might be able to move the ball a little bit with Calandria. They have a guy who can freelance. They have a guy who, when the play breaks down, he can go make something happen. And I think that's invaluable at times, especially when you're playing on a, on a bad team, on a bad offense. You look at Castellano for Boston College against Florida State, and, and that's what he brings to the table. I think, uh, I think Calandria brings some semblance of that. Another team that I'm buying that lost this weekend is Wyoming. Wyoming, we talked about how they played Texas tough in this game. They didn't even have their starting quarterback in this game. And they were tied with Texas in the third quarter, at the start of the fourth quarter. And then Texas pulls away, scores 21 unanswered in the fourth quarter. But they did not even have their starting quarterback in this game. And they were able to stick with them. And I find that very impressive. I'm very interested in this Mountain West because in the Mountain West, Fresno State also went out and just shut out Arizona State, a Pac-12 school, over this weekend. But Wyoming's a team I'd, I'd keep an eye on there because I think that says a lot. I think that says a lot about you if you're able to go out there and perform that way without your starting quarterback. This is a program who already beat Texas Tech this season. So I'm curious about them the rest of the way. I'm looking for some from Mountain West Championship odds today. And I was looking at DraftKings earlier. DraftKings, on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evenings, they kind of do a refresh of their... It seems like they do a refresh of all their odds. They don't have their Heisman odds up right now. They don't have their championship, the conference championship odds up right now so i haven't been able to see it there DraftKings doesn't have just has the power five odds up right now i'm a little interested in what a price on wyoming might look like to win the mountain west so more to come on that one potentially all right let's get into our g5 team of the week so a couple schools i want to call out here south alabama they went out and they put it on oklahoma state 33 to 37 not only did they beat them up big time on the scoreboard, they outgained them by nearly double, 395 yards to 208. They went for nine, nine and a half yards per attempt to Oklahoma State's three when it came to uh, passing attempts. They had 243 yards on the ground, 5.2 yards per carry for South Alabama against Oklahoma State. And I really want to celebrate South Alabama here and getting this big win because it's a big deal for them. And a lot of the talk is going to be about Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy and what he's doing playing those three quarterbacks. But I want to celebrate South Alabama. I want to celebrate this Sunbelt program going on the road and getting this victory. And by proxy, I kind of want to call out Tulane here because Tulane, they they beat South Alabama down to start the season, 37 to 17. And it was a game I bet on South Alabama in. And I was disappointed and I was questioning them. And they come back and they do this a couple weeks later. 
Tulane has now played two games in a row without their starting quarterback, Michael Pratt. They lose to Ole Miss last week, but they keep it close. And then this week, they just shut down Southern Miss, 21-3. I think this Tulane defense is a very, very good. And uh, by kind of by proxy, Tulane gets an honorable mention here because I think this Tulane de- defense is is excellent. And I think once they get Michael Pratt back, they can take this thing to another level. And again, you know, they were the preseason favorite to win the American. I want to see what their odds are now. It's not, not that I don't expect them to be great, but it's just something to keep an eye on there. And as you look at their upcoming schedule, you know, like last week against old miss, their SP plus rating dropped after that game. And I, we talked about that a bit last week, but I think that was in large part because they didn't have Michael Pratt this week. They stayed about flat in SP plus. I think they are better than they're being given credit for because I think their offense can, can take another step up once Michael, Michael Pratt is back in the lineup. So they have Nichols, Next week, an FCS school. They have UAB at home the week after that. And UAB looks very, very bad right now. Very bad. So maybe that's a a game we can potentially target. Obviously, it all depends on the number. And they have a really big game. October 13th at Memphis, a game that I think Memphis might actually be favored in. Memphis is a team that I took to win the conference at eight to one before the season started. So that'll be one to keep an eye on in a few weeks. But I think this Tulane team is is very good. All right, let's wrap up today by a quick look ahead to week four. And there are some monster games out there in week four. What I thought would be the game of the week before the season, which has really kind of become second fiddle here, is Florida State going to Death Valley to take on Clemson. I think we all assume that if there was going to be one team that had a loss in this game, it was going to be Florida State, not Clemson. And it's been the opposite way around. This line is so interesting to me. It, it, I saw it open around Florida State minus two and a half, and now it's floating between maybe one and two and a half. Florida State favored, depending where you look. I jumped on it at Florida State minus two and a half right when I saw it because I thought there was a good chance it would get bet up and it'd go above that, that key number of three. I know I spent a lot of time on this episode talking about how things tighten up in conference play, how it's hard to win on the road, how it's hard to play on the road. I feel like that all matters, and it really matters when the numbers are big, when it's 10 points, two touchdowns, three touchdowns, four touchdowns. But this is the game that Florida State has had circled on their calendar all year long. This is a game Florida State knows that they need to win to continue to be taken seriously as a college football playoff contender. This is not sleepwalking into Chestnut Hill. This is going to Clemson, trying to take down the team that's been the king of the mountain for so long. And what I always try to identify in a given year is what is the team? Who is the team that seems like they have really taken a step up this year? and is playing at a different level. And I think that's Florida State. I think they're just solid 
across the board at the skill positions. I think if you compare them to Clemson, you would choose Florida State at almost, I mean, at every position on the offense, certainly all the skill positions on offense. And the defense for Florida State has looked really good too this year. I, it's scary to bet against Clemson in Death Valley in a really big game. But at the end of the day, I mean, I, I trust Jordan Travis so much more than I trust Cade Klubnik. I trust Florida State's offense so much more than I trust Clemson's offense. Clemson feels jittery right now. They feel nervous. They feel like they're just not in sync. And I went ahead and I grabbed that Florida State minus two and a half. If you can find it at one, I'd play it at one. I just really wanted to grab it below three because I think this is a game that that will be tight. But ultimately, I think Florida State's skill and talent wins out in the end. And I trust Jordan Travis to go out and make a play more than I trust Cade Klubnik to make a play. I definitely trust Florida State's receivers, Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson, Jaheim Bell as a receiving threat as well to go out and make a play compared to Clemson's wide receivers. There's been so much talk about Clemson's wide receivers. And I don't want to be late on Florida State. I don't want to be late on them like I was late on LSU and Joe Burrow. And I'm not saying they're quite at that same level, but with LSU and Joe Burrow, I kept waiting for a time for that team to fall, for them to fail, for them not to put up unbelievable numbers. And I feel like Florida State is a team that just has it figured out, the game at BC notwithstanding. They showed up to play for that LSU game. The next week, they take care of business against Southern Miss. There's no letdown there. And then even yesterday, it felt like they had things in control at various times. And you looked up and all of a sudden it was really close, but I felt like they had things in control. So give me Florida State. I'll take Florida State anything under that three number. The other game that I'm betting early here is Kansas State. I'm going to get it on Kansas State minus six and a half and they take on UCF. Now, the reason I like this, it's Kansas State at home. We talked a little bit about their offense already, and I thought they performed admirably in that game. UCF is without John Rice Plumley, their quarterback. Uh, he got hurt in that Boise State game. He's supposed to be out for a couple weeks. They didn't have him against Villanova. If he plays, I, I don't want any parts of this, but if he doesn't play, he is such an important part of making that offense go and and driving it through the ground that I think he is a huge loss. And I think without him or with him, I think this would be like a six and a half, six point spread. And I don't think it's been adjusted enough. So anything under a touchdown here, I'm taking Kansas State in Manhattan to get the job done. I think it's too tough for them to go in there and win and cover without John Rice Plumley, So give me Kansas State there for my my second early bet of the week. Last week had a, a nice little week on the early picks that I gave out last Sunday. I went two and one. Maryland minus 13 and a half cashed against Virginia. North Carolina minus six and a half against Minnesota cashed. The one loser was TCU Houston over 60 and a half. I actually really feel like we're still on the right side of that. Uh, they had a couple 
turnovers on downs early in the game, a couple opportunities just not converted on. Otherwise, I, I feel like that thing was was right there for the taking. Overall, a really nice week for me. I went with the show with the picks that I gave out on the show. I went four and three against the spread, one and zero oh on my money line parlay of the week, which was Florida International and Florida to win outright. That was plus ten ninety four on FanDuel, almost eleven to one. I added a little hedge on that. I did a live money line play there. Uh, I got Tennessee at plus one forty. So you add that in. I was four and four on the week, one and zero oh on my money line parlay. Profited. 5.19 units and that's putting me back close to even on the season for the season 17 and 21 against the spread one and two on my money line parlays of the week and netting out at uh, down 2.47 units so just about 2.5 units but I feel like we got some good momentum rolling here and I'm looking forward to keeping it going into week four and we got a monster week ahead we talked about Florida State Clemson but we got Notre Dame, Ohio State. That's the other absolutely huge one nationally next weekend. We got some big games in all the various conferences. We have Alabama against Ole Miss. Maybe a battle for who the best team in the SEC West is. LSU certainly has something to say about that. But Ole Miss, if they want to be taken seriously as an SEC West contender, they need to go in and win this game at Alabama. It is a big weekend ahead. We got Colorado, Oregon, and I can't wait to come back on Wednesday, break it all down, give you my full card, tell you what I'm watching, tell you what I'm betting, and see where we can find some value. So enjoy the rest of this Sunday, everybody. Enjoy your week. I will talk to you ahead of week four. And until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.